Well, hello today. We have Amanda, um, Amanda Kasser, who's been, um, she's an advisor. She's an aged care specialist as well, from my understanding. Um, fellow colleague, we've both been in the AFA together. Um, but I reached out to Amanda because she actually has just recently launched a course on financial abuse. And I was incredibly interested. Uh, most of us female advisors often deal with a lot of divorced women. Um, I particularly, that's sort of my niche. So I, um, this topic was something that I was in very, you know, very interested in as soon as I heard about it. First heard from uh, friend Michelle, Michelle Hoskins, so, um, who uh, has set up the course, but we'll go into that in a minute. I just want you, Amanda, just to share with me exactly what is financial abuse? All right. Um, it, yeah, it's funny. Some people have either completely heard about it or they're going, what on earth is that? So pretty much um, it's a form of abuse when an intimate partner has control over the other partner's access to financial resources, uh, which can also diminish their capacity to support themselves or it forces them to depend on the perpetrator of the abuse financially. So it can be called economic or financial abuse. And it also includes illegal or unauthorised use of somebody's property or valuables or changing a person's will. It, it's quite a wide area that it covers. It also includes elder abuse. And it's mostly caught under domestic violence law in most um, states and in different countries. So um, economic abuse is slightly different because it includes the control of your present or future earning potential as well as the control of your assets. So, yeah, it's, it's a rather um, nasty and insidious crime. And do people... With you know, when you're like often people are in a relationship, don't actually recognize immediately that they are being abused. Um, have you seen cases where, you know, and we'll probably go into you talking more about some cases you've researched. Have you seen cases where, um, you know, the abused have been in the situation for some time before they actually become aware of the situation and the, the depth of um, the abuse? Oh, absolutely. I mean, nobody falls in love with an abuser. That's, you know, our love goggles are on. You know, it's not someone going, right, hand me your money at, at the first time you, you fall in love with someone. So it's very often a very gradual process. And it can start with, you know, little things. You, know, you might notice things go missing or they'll say something or request something. And there's that little niggle you go, oh, that was a bit weird or I'm not real comfortable with that. But we then justify it. We go, oh, you know, maybe it's a bad mood or I, I don't mind, you know, they can help out or have access to those things. So it is this process of gradualism. And, and one lady I interviewed, because um, I said, obviously, you're not, you know, falling in love with this this guy who, you know, ended up, you know, being such a severe abuser. And she, she likened it to the frog in the pot. It was, you know, if you pop in a frog in the cool water and you slowly turn the heat up, they don't jump out. We're, if all of a sudden the heat's there, the frog goes, right, I'm out of here. So that's how she likened it to me, wow. that this gradual boiling of her, yeah, that, that finally. And then you're so far down the track, you're like, how on earth did I get here before you, you know, put your head up and go, this just doesn't seem right. Mm. Can you, um, obviously for privacy reasons, I understand you've got to be careful, but can you give us an example of a case that you've 
you've studied or come across? Yeah, look, um, Marie Lalansack is, is a, a financial professional in the industry who's very kindly shared her story uh, with me. So, you know, a very well-educated woman, uh, been in financial services all her life, fell in love with a wonderful man and was going sailing around the world with him. Um, and how it started for her was he said, look, I've got a dream. You know, would you help me invest in my dream? So he sold her the dream. And it started out with $30,000 to help restore a beautiful boat that he had. And over time, Marie ended up $1.2 million in the hole and he tried to murder her <gasps> on the boat. So <laughs> it's, um, it can escalate from very, very small things to some serious, serious, you know, life-threatening issues. Wow. That's extreme. Oh, goodness me. Yes, it's very extreme. Um, now, look, something I um, am fascinated with is behaviours and um, part of my work as uh, part of the financial planning stuff is also the money coaching where we look at people's pasts. Have you looked at that where, you know, you've got the, the abuser? Are they... Are they have learned have they learnt this from their from their parents or have they you know is this something that is a pattern in people's lives is something are there things that we people could look out for look i'm not a trained psychologist so it's hard to to you know pass judgment on that but it, there does seem to be an element of that controlling behavior narcissism often features um and it can also manifest in other forms of abuse as well with control and the domestic violence. So look, financial abuse can be a completely standalone event or it can be part of a bigger pattern and does form in the States, they've done research that 99% of all domestic violence cases include financial abuse. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So look, whether there's a type, not really because it can also be driven by uh, need and circumstance. So it could be somebody ends up with a gambling problem or an addiction problem and is looking for money and they have blame issues where they don't take responsibility for their own behaviour and it's always somebody else's fault. There's also the control factor where the emotional abuse then takes place where you're no good with money, you'll never be any good with money. So the other person is quite beaten down and then it ends up, you know, doubting their own abilities. So it's mm. it's very, very complex. And look, there's no cookie cutter. Yep, this bloke's the pin-up for it and he's going to do it. And, you know, even when it comes to elder abuse, there's now a phrase they've coined called inheritance impatience, where you go, well, it's going to be mine anyway. I'll just help myself now. So, you know, it can be a very ordinary mum, dad, daughter. Oh, the school fees are due. Oh, look, mum's got that bit extra. I've got power of attorney. I'll just sneak that. So, you know, it's quite wow. <laughs> insidious. Of... <laughs> okay. Wow. Because um, that's the next question I was going to go is, the, um, you know, dealing with the elderly. Uh, we have seen, in you know, you see in the media, someone's been swindled out of their um, you know, their estate, all of a sudden they're, they're an elderly person, all of a sudden they don't have anything um, because someone's been their carer or whatever. Um, that's sort of a very obvious example. Um, but what kind of things would someone who is, you know, uh, maybe the, the head of the family has the household and has children, adult children, which they be looking out for? Usually there's 
a single perpetrator of abuse in a family, and unfortunately, it's it's often uh, for the elderly. A a child um, can be a spouse or partner, or it could be a carer. So mm. um, there's actually I think it's about five different types of common abuse that occur in the elderly. So you've got the physical, so psychological, financial, sexual, and neglect is even included. But around forty percent of all those crimes. Uh, financial abuse so it is one of the biggest that it does impact the elderly and we have a tendency i think as a society to infantilize the elderly or, or treat them like an infant where we're like oh mum's losing her mind she just doesn't remember anymore so we don't take their worries as seriously as we might have in the past so if mum's going i can't find my checkbook dear or i don't know where that term deposit is we might just go oh mum you've probably just misplaced it so we have a tendency to go maybe it's not as serious as mum thinks so that's one of the biggest signs that we don't take their worries and concerns as seriously as we possibly should um, and look, mum may be losing her marbles, but she also may have moments of absolute lucidity where she's going, no, something is wrong, something's missing. And look, it's some, you know, if there's other siblings involved and one of them's managing everything, it can be, you know, that the family needs to do an intervention and go, look, what you're doing is not right. And there mm. have been cases where, you know, the families are left with nothing because of one sibling who's just taken over and and you know done the dirty on mum and dad and and everybody else misses out wow so i guess this whole um segment really we see the whole the, the negative on on the, um, money in how it can turn people to do terrible things to others out of greed which is quite sad i mean i sort of look at money and say well, it's a positive thing if we're using it in a positive way because um it has some sometimes you know, such a negative um feelings or energy about it in this case we, we are focused on that um, but I guess the positive on this is finding out what we can do as community as partners as friends as you know siblings uh, as daughters as sons to actually recognize when um, our loved one is being in a, is in a situation where they're being financially abused can you give us some uh, some examples it was, we've go back to being in a relationship say you know you know, we've got a husband and wife situation. Can you give us an example of what warning signs we should be looking out for? Um, look, it can be something as severe as an extreme monitoring of purchases where hubby says, look, I want you to bring home every receipt of every single thing you buy and, you know, you're only allowed an allowance of this much or you're not allowed your own bank account, so I'm, I'm not going to let you do this certain kind of work. Um, so it's that kind of control factor that um, might be there when we see that in others um, we can just you know call out a friend or a girlfriend you know and say look I'm really uncomfortable when Bill doesn't let you come shopping with me or go out for a coffee or spend ten dollars on yourself you know that I don't understand you know are you okay with that so just opening the conversation in a really calm way we're talking about our feelings like i'm uncomfortable when this happens it's not that bloody bill he gives me the dirts when he treats you that way which we can often go on the attack because we're so indignant about what's happening but obviously then we're, we're starting the situation in this really tense tense way so it's nice to be able to open it up and depending on the person and how far or how far along the abuse is they may be really happy that they've got a listening ear that someone goes oh well i 
I thought it was a bit, I was a bit uncomfortable about it, but I didn't realise, yeah, maybe it's not right. Or look, look, I'm so far in the hole, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got here. How do I get out of it? So mm. there's so many stages of, of the abuse, you know, before we see it, it, it may be really difficult to then have that conversation with someone. Yeah. And you've put out a accredited course um, and, you know, I'm going to be doing that as an advisor. So if someone is recognised they've had that conversation with a girlfriend or a mate or whatever and they've realised, actually, you know what, I am in the hole. Where do I go? Where do they go? What, what, what resources are there out for people um, when they're in this situation? Yeah, look, it's, it's a global course, so trying to pull together all those um, bits and pieces globally is difficult. So in Australia specifically, there's a fabulous group based in Victoria called WIRE, and they are all about helping uh, especially women through this situation. They, and again, depending on the circumstance, so some women may come out of a relationship with absolutely nothing, need to start over, think they're dreadful with money because that's what they've been told, and may need financial counselling to help, you know, basic budgeting get back on track. Others may, you know, end up in a divorce with a great settlement and go, I'm so lost, I don't know what to do with this. I've always been told I can't invest, I'm, I'm no good, where do I go? And advisors have a really great opportunity to assist in that space. If you don't know where to start, there are hotlines. Um, there's an elder abuse hotline that's national for Australia. For financial abuse, you may want to ring a local shelter or even a charity like Share the Dignity that helps collecting for women, collect things that, you know, for women. There's there's an awful version of financial abuse now that's coming to light called period poverty, where a partner won't allow access to sanitary items for the women so that they have to stay at home um, and have no pads or tampons. And they're even finding that these women are raiding laundromats to steal socks to use in lieu of pads because of the situation oh that they're in. So it can be that extreme that, you know, people are having to resort to theft to to look after themselves physically. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just in shock with that one. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I've never even thought that that would be a level of control. Yeah, yeah. But there's also advisors have a really cool space when they're first meeting with a client to set the scene and go, look, this is the sort of advisor I am. I really encourage healthy relationships financially with my clients. These are the expectations I have. And this is what a beautiful, healthy relationship looks like. I expect to meet both of you at every meeting and every review. You know, I want you to have these beautiful joint goals that we're working together. So instead of focusing on, look, I've seen these dreadful cases where, you know, one suppresses the other. It's, this is what I expect from our relationship. You know, I've, I've been married 26 years now. And when I first came across these cases of abuse, like you, it just was so gobsmacked that that's how it worked, but didn't know that I could then contrast that between, okay, this is what it looks like in a normal, healthy relationship versus mm. what you're experiencing isn't that. So yeah. that's something to aspire to rather than, yeah, that's just all wrong and really mucked up and you need to get out of there. So I'm sure, I mean, us advisors, we do come across it a lot. I, I as I said, I deal with a lot of women going through divorce. And one particular case, uh, she came to me late last year. And that perfect example you put together earlier is she has had a husband who has put her down and says, you can't. You know, you're hopeless, you're not good at money, you spend too much, this, that, and the other. 
the other. And, you know, she had absolutely no confidence. And going through a settlement, you know, she just didn't have any fight in her. Um, it, it was heartbreaking to see. And my job was more to encourage her, build her up and go, you, you're great at this. You do know what you're doing. You, you're fine. You know, and you aren't team, overspending. You actually yeah, have been in that situation. Are oh, the greatest budgeters? They know how to make that hundred dollar grocery bill right. go so fast. Correct. So Perfect. After being told they're lousy, they're they're actually rock stars at budgeting. So it's a great hundred percent. And they yeah. come to me. Your she actually came to me very nervous. I remember our first meeting? She was really nervous, and I was uh, my heart broke for her. I was just I could see straight away that she was broken, that this relationship had. But it, in that situation also, he's living in a million-dollar house and living on six-figure income, and she's like a designer on, you know, 50000 and moved out of that house with the, with a child into a tiny little unit living on almost nothing. And I just sort of made it clear. I said, you're obviously that unhappy in that relationship. To be happy, you know, I mean, to just to be in this situation where you've got nothing and absolutely okay with that. That's a starting point to start seeing how negative that environment was for you, mm, you know. Toxic, yeah. And to so we sort of had to work through that and for her to open her eyes and realise that she's got this freedom and she's in control and she made, she had the uh, courage, that's the biggest thing, to leave, absolutely. to move forward. And that's sort of, I think, our job as advisors more than, you know, just our number because a lot of people think, oh, you just do the numbers and you sort of organise our super and you organise aged care and this, that and the other. But there's so much on the emotional side that we work with. Yeah, we're counsellors as well. That's we're counsellors. That's absolutely right. So so that's why I, I want to do this course because I think, you know, um, and I think I would obviously encourage everybody um, in our profession to be doing a course like this and maybe, you know, we can, you know, suggest accountants and uh, legal professionals well, to be doing it. Medical professionals, yeah. And look, yeah. even support staff in advisors' offices because mm -hmm. at the first, we may only just have a gut feel. We may have no evidence that there's something going on, but you've just got that something's not right. And sometimes sharing with the team going, look, I might be completely off track here, but this is what I'm thinking. So, you know, if one day you know, the sun rings up and wants to clear out mum's pension account and the staff are aware that you're not real sure about this relationship, having them then <laughs> be able to buy a bit of time and come back to you is really vital. Whereas, you know, in the past, the staff member may just have gone, sure, I'll send out the withdrawal form, no problem, I'm being really efficient by doing that and not knowing that you even suspect that something could be wrong. So mm. sharing it with our teams is also really, really important. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, I mean... Um, I always do when I'm doing cash flow stuff. Cash flow is part of the foundation of the work that I do. So money tells you a story when you're looking at transactions. I do in 90 days and I like to have, have a look at, you know, where money's coming in and out. So if, if it, that's another thing, looking at, well, who's actually doing these transactions and who's in control of that? Is it a joint account? Is it just in someone an individual's name? Um, that also tells you a bit of a story. I would find that, you know, um, is another thing that I guess if, if you've got staff that are doing that work is also probably a good thing to be looking out for. Absolutely. And I, I think encouraging right from the start that there's, although a joining together of the goals, there's also a maintaining of independence. And especially when two people are working, might be, look, you have your wage go into your account. 
hubby or wife had their wage going to their account, but you come together for the joint goals. So you might have an account that is for joint and whether you choose that you have, you know, you pay all the bills 50-50 or he looks after the mortgage and you look after the groceries and the utilities, whatever your family decides that, okay, you've got all that there, you both contribute to that. If there's anything left over, you know, does it go on a family holiday, does it reduce debt, whatever the advisor thinks is right. Mm. But then the, no client will ever be in a situation where it's like, I have nothing, I am so stuck, I cannot escape, I've got nowhere to go. Uh, one of the ladies I interviewed, she was actually the original one who piqued my interest in this. Uh, she came into her relationship as this award-winning investigative journalist with a trust account and a home and money in the bank and left absolutely emotionally broken. She had a stroke, she got epilepsy, she had seizures, and she was skimming $20 off the groceries to buy a card to store at a girlfriend's house so that she could afford food for her and her daughter for a couple of months by the time she could leave and then couch surf at friends' houses until she could get established. So those sort of stories just tell me never surrender your independence mm. completely. Um, banks are now also offering um, secret bank accounts that they will never send out a letter or a statement. You don't have to have it on any apps. The only way to access that money is to walk into the account, into the branch, into the branch. to access your account so that they know, you know, people who are in distress need that complete anonymity and the ability to, to hide if they have to funds. So more and more banks are becoming aware of the situation. And I mean, even bank tellers, they should be frontline in this as well and trained so that, yeah. you know, their gut's telling them something's not right, especially when a power of attorney, you know, walks up and, you know, demands to clear out an account. You know, how, how can, um, you know, bank staff even assist with this? So it, there's so many people involved and sh that should be able to yeah. assist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to actually, I'm curious to know what got you on this path? Well, it was actually Tanya's story. So a couple of years ago, I wanted to write a book and I wasn't sure if I was, yeah, going to go for the lusty bodice busting, you know, <laughs> raunchy novella <laughs> or, um, you know, obviously a financial tome, which eventually won out. And I was sort of trying to think of ideas that hadn't been done before. You know, everyone's written on how super works or how to do a budget. And I wondered more and more about how we're raised and how that impacts us going forward. So, mm -hmm. you know, my sister and I were raised in the same house. My father's a very frugal man. He would sit down and balance the books every month. And if he couldn't find that five cents, he'd get very irritated. Um, you know, everything went into the family and he had, you know, a lot of control. And, you know, I've ended up in financial services and my sister, look, she'd give away the last five cents she had if, you know, if she, if she needed to. So you, you come out of these situations forming your own ideas and, Everyone I interviewed, I said, what parent, you know, what did your parents teach you about money? And the answer was always nothing. But I said, okay, so the unspoken lessons, what did you learn? And it could have been, you know, money didn't grow on trees or the case of Tanya, who became the um, abused um, wife, her parents taught her that only bad people get ahead. So every time they drove past a nice house, they're like, I wonder what they did to get that. So there's always this connotation of, money meant badness or you had to be a bad person to succeed and so she had to overcome these ideas in her head that everyone who had a buck was an ass so <laughs> which you know obviously didn't help and it was a girlfriend of hers who was covering um the murder 
of Alison Baden Clay at the time, who was recognising all the behaviours that the husband Jared was yeah. displaying in Tanya's husband, and was writing to her, going, "This is you. This is going to be you if you don't get out." So having that brave person yeah. in your life to call it and say, "I'm really, really uncomfortable with what's going on for you." And it wasn't until he gave her an ultimatum and said, look, stop fiddling around with the media, get a job working in a supermarket. I'm sick of this. And it, that was when her daughter turned up and said, mummy, that's not who you are. And then she just had that, you know, gut drop moment when she went, I'm being a really bad example for my daughter. I have to get out of this and show her what life's all about. And she's, look, amazing success story. She's reinvented. She's married a gorgeous bloke and settled in California running amazing, you know, online courses for people who want to get into the media. So she's, you know, used all that knowledge she ever had to become a success story and walk away from it. So, look, it is possible. You know, I, I think so many people walk away so broken. Um, you just don't think there's any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, yeah, there's people out there who do love you, believe in you, support you and, and can help you. And it is that mindset. How, how do we change that mindset from, you know, I can't do this to, actually I can. Mm, yeah absolutely wow so from there you basically started yeah it just piqued her so much when I wrote her story in the book and the experiences that she'd had and you know how she turned her life around and you know other people from very middle class backgrounds who become you know multi-millionaires and yet they're sibling is you know a stay-at-home child in his 30s and you know someone else is running a multi-million dollar business so it was all about these lessons and and her story just was the standout to me about this financial abuse so I just went I need to know more about this you know I, like I said before you know married forever no issues about this and going mm. how many people actually do suffer from this and it was I'd also interviewed Michelle Hoskin for the book who runs Standards International who you mentioned earlier and I said look I think you should really read Tanya's story when you get the book it's really fascinating and she's like Amanda there's more to it I said yeah I think I need to do like a little short course or something about this and got involved with XY to, to put something together and Michelle's going no this is bigger than that she goes I think there's a global need for this and I'm like well, absolutely I've never written a course I don't I wouldn't know how to get it accredited <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> All the excuses. Yeah. Uh, she won't handle an excuse, though, not <laughs> Michelle. Goodness me. You, well, you're stuck just, there. The book will be about financial abuse. I mean, that'll, that'll be a bestseller for sure. She goes, man, I can accredit it. This is, you know, so it became this collaboration, you know, that we just both felt so passionately working in financial services that we were so ill-equipped to do anything about this. And there's emerging now more end user you know for the victims of abuse to do courses and to learn about so there's getting a bit of momentum in that space but there's certainly still nothing for financial professionals some of the banks are releasing papers on you know they're finding white papers on on what to do uh, but i just thought this is a space we all need so much more training in and the hardest part was I can't give you the silver bullet. There's no cookie cutter approach going, right, this is the thing you follow in every single situation and it'll all work out magic in the end. Because mm. <laughs> every single case is, is so different. And it, the responses can vary from do absolutely nothing to court. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we can be dealing with fraud, abusive power of attorney to, you know what, I just think I need to file note this for a bit and follow it up. Or do I need to have an offline conversation with a partner who, 
who never gets to make it to the meeting or the partner talks over the top of the other one the whole time. They never get to answer my questions. You know, do I need to speak to them later going, look, I, I felt I didn't get your side of the story today. You know, Bob was so enthusiastic. Mary, I just wanted to, you know, make sure that they were your views as well, you know, if Mary is allowed to make it to the meeting. So, you know, just getting some more techniques in our kit bag about how we actually approach this when, when we see it instead of going, I actually don't want to know, I might sack them as clients, I don't want to deal with this, you know, I might be putting my neck on the line. You know, we're advisors who are now being encouraged by every global organisation to get our ethics up to speed. You know, we have a responsibility to our clients to be able yeah. to assist them. And look, if if you're not in a, the space to do that or you're really inexperienced, I've found, you know, financial advice is such a sharing community. There's, there's going to be experienced advisors. You know, there's people like yourself who do specialise in divorced women. There's Dominique Burgle-Grant from Leapfrog. There's Trisha Peters in Melbourne. There's, there's plenty of people who this is their specialty. Uh, I know Deb Kent has seen cases and she was kind mm -hmm. enough to share some stories for the course. So, you know, reach out to me, find an advisor who, you know, is prepared to share their story. Deb shared one case where she had to weigh up ethics law versus privacy law. Wow. Did she tell the client what was going on when they'd given a power of attorney or and breach privacy law or ethically and morally did she have enough evidence to go to that client and say, I'm really uncomfortable with what your attorney's doing and I want to make you aware of it. So, you know, sometimes the licensee can't help with that. They might be, look, the letter of the law is privacy, but now we've also got this ethical overlay. We do. So <laughs> and, 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 Deb's, and Deb's involved in that, which is, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, those sort of decisions, sometimes we can't make them on our own. Mm. You know, we, we need to bounce these ideas off and, you know, we've got beautiful communities like the AFA or XY Advisor or the FPA, whatever community you're in. There's a lot of communities um, out there. Know, and NDRT, I, I love to death. So, yeah. um, you know, there's people who do want to help and, you know, can guide you and, you know, they may have differing even opinions, but take a few, get a, get a bit of feedback and go, look, what feels right for me? How am I going to approach this? Mm. And look, sometimes it may be that you do have to walk away and you can't, but other times, you know, you might have to just, yeah, put your neck on the chopping block and go, look, I actually can't ethically, morally walk away from this without saying I'm really uncomfortable about your situation. I'm here if you need me. Whether you want to do something or not is completely up to you. But, you know, it's I'm losing sleep over it at night and, you know, you must be as well. So, you know, there's there's just so many ways of dealing yeah. with it. Get some experience, you know, yeah. to, to help back you up. Which is where my next question is going is um, how do people find out about this course, register for the course, get info from this so can you send uh, i'll put a link on anyway with yeah, um putting so this standardinternational.co.uk um is the website that michelle's got the course on so if you go to certifications in the drop down box the financial abuse specialist it's a trademarked accreditation so yeah. there's probably oh four or five hours worth of video in it to watch so i've interviewed two victims of abuse that i've mentioned today marie and tanya I've interviewed three separate um, financial advisors, including one in the US, um, about cases they've had of abuse and how they dealt with them. I interviewed a family law accredited lawyer who deals, you know, exclusively in the divorce space and cases she's come across and how, you know, she helps them through that. So there's 
fair bit of video work. At the end, there's a case study that you need to be able to identify the red flags in the case. You have to submit the answers to that, do two quizzes, um, and even upload a video of yourself about why you're passionate about it and want to be an abuse specialist, what, what it means to you and, and in your practice. So the whole idea of the course is to come away with a policy or procedure for your own business that, you know, I hope you never see it in your lifetime in your practice. But if you do, you're on the front foot. You already yeah. know about it. You've got it, something you can go to. I'm begging everyone, go back to your licensee and go, look, if they don't have a policy or procedure on this, get them to do one. You know, right. they should be your first port of call. You know, they're the ones who hold your PI. Make sure that they're all over it. Many of them now have an elder abuse or a vulnerable client policy, but it may not cover cases of financial abuse. So mm. we need to be begging them also to be able to assist us and support us through these cases as well. But, you know, the fact, you know, forewarned is forearmed and, you know, being prepared, be a Boy Scout. <laughs> yep, yep, being prepared. Oh, I just find this absolutely amazing. Um, so once we've got the accreditation, it's it's then about looking at building that into our practice. Um, and you suggest that we get, you know, that there'll be other professionals such as accountants. You know, you say banks are doing that. So you're going to be pushing this or recommending banks get their teams on board with this course as well. Yeah, we'd absolutely love yeah. that. And Michelle also wants it that the accreditation is renewed very regularly because things are going to change all the time in this space so that, you know, every couple of years come back, redo your accreditation, learn what's happening in the industry. I mean, period poverty is a fairly new term that I mentioned earlier. There's new phenomenons like granny dumping where the elderly are just being dropped off and left. Um, an American family dropped an elderly relative with dementia off in the UK and abandoned him. It was one of the first cases in the UK where they actually prosecuted a granny dumping case. So, you know, it's morphing and changing all the time what we need to keep up with. So there will be new new material coming out every couple of years to stay on top of it. I'd expect this year and going forward with uh, the effects of COVID-19 that we'll see a lot more of this coming through the woodwork. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I mean, we our government just announced that we're now in a recession, which we were expecting because it's been two quarters. Um, negative growth. Yeah, negative growth, exactly. So um, going forward with such problems with, you know, jobs, uh, certain states still in lockdown. Um, have you been, have you come across more cases? Are you starting to see people reaching out to you or other professionals yeah, reaching look, out to you? It's a very mixed bag. In, in some cases, the domestic violence calls have, have really increased. In others, they've said they've actually gone down because the people are less safe to reach out because the partner is always home. Ah, of course. Online gambling has also increased dramatically. Um, I know of one case where a man just said to his wife, look, take my phone. He did $1,800 in the first three weeks. He was in lockdown just out of sheer boredom. So these are the sort of things that are going to be coming out. I'm also involved with a, a charity group called The Hunger Project in India, and they were saying, you know, millions of people in the city who had jobs had to go back to their villages um, and have no work. So for them, the domestic violence massively increased. There's frustration. There's there's no way to earn an income until the country opens back up. So it's sometimes more hidden 
and other times it's just an, an explosive reaction to the frustration, the stress. Um, you know, we're seeing crazy behaviour all over the world. Um, you know, people carrying on about their, their rights and all the rest of it when, you know, most of us are going, can we just be kind? <laughs> Know, whether yeah. you believe a mask is going to save you or not, can you just wear one? Like, yeah, it's not. It's not it a big ask. Is it? To other people, yeah. you know, we're not asking you to, you know, drown your sorrows or give up your firstborn child. It's it's really not it's, a big thing. It's just a bit immaterial. You're happy to wear your seatbelt. Pop on a mask, you know. So yeah. it's <clears throat> it's very difficult, you know, when people are so stressed. There's a lot of um, mental illness coming out from the financial pressures. Um, so I think advisors are going to be seeing a lot more. I mean, and like advisors aren't stressed enough with, you know, regulatory change that they're battling at the moment, but seeing all their clients' circumstances. So we, we do have a perfect storm brewing. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, just as you're saying that my mind has been, of, you know, to a million places of, of things that I'm recognising now, like just my boys' school, they're having a lot more fights. And I had a meeting with the principal because I was concerned. My son's um, a national um, Muay Thai champion. So he just feels the need to be breaking up these fights all the time. And he texts me and goes, I broke up another fight. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what's going on at this a little school? Hero. I know, a little hero. I said, don't be doing that. I'm like, don't get involved. No, no, no. I'm just, I know what, I know how to combat. I'm fine. I'm, I'm just stopping it. And I'm like, that's really sweet. And the principal was like, the teachers actually appreciate it. Um, but, and he's quick, so he's not getting hit or anything. Um, but the problem you know, I'm concerned that there's a fight. So I brought it up and she said, COVID, the stress is at home. It's coming through the kids. And then I was just thinking, you know, the same thing. Kids actually would be recognising stuff going on. Like you said with the story of the daughter saying, mum, this isn't you. Children, you know, that that's, my mum says mouths, uh, you know, from the mouths of babes. <laughs> you know, they, they're like little mirrors. They reflect a lot and they, you know, they need to be heard as well. So I guess there's another another layer there for this this course to go to, um, you know, psychologists, child counsellors, school counsellors and um, and teachers as well because if they are picking stuff up, I mean, they're already trained in picking up whether there's potential abuse going on at home just out of protecting the children. But this is another layer of abuse um, which... I, you know, I believe and feel hasn't been spoken about. You shedding the light is amazing. And I think the more we talk about it, the more normal and, uh, you know, it, it's, the, it's not a normal thing, but the no. more it's okay to feel safe to talk about it because yeah. there's always shame too, already around money. Yeah, Me Too has helped with that. You know, all of a sudden it, it's, you know, there's these exposés and stories of these super powerful people who've been in positions for so long. And it's not like... We didn't know about the casting couch in Hollywood. I mean, that's been around forever, but these women are now brave enough to come out and go, it's not right anymore, it's not acceptable anymore. And, you know, this is just another form of abuse. That's the worst sentence I've ever said in my life. Um, but it's time to shine the light on these things and make it more acceptable to talk about it. You know, a woman is murdered in Australia every single week from an intimate partner. That's not okay. No, You know, most not. of these women are also suffering, you know, from all other types of abuse as well so the more it's out there and I think also there's more um, of a need now that it's not just let's get the victim out of that situation it's like how can we help the perpetrator 
you know, they mm. obviously need counselling or help to be able to understand what they're doing isn't a normal behaviour. Do they need psychological assistance? You know, sometimes it's absolutely necessary that mum and the kids have to get out of a dangerous situation. But sometimes that makes dad angrier and puts their lives in more at risk. So mm. how do we help dad calm down, understand there's other ways of expressing anger or control, whatever those needs are? So, you know, just... And not just disciplining perpetrators, but showing men how to, you know, have respectful relationships and, and women as well. There's women who absolutely, you know, abuse their husband. In the story, um, I interview that family lawyer. She talks about a, a mixed-race marriage where the wife would siphon off all the money from the Aussie fly-in, fly-out worker and actually beat him if she thought he wasn't, you know, making enough money. So it does go both ways. Um, oh, so I have come across where a woman has actually completely taken advantage and then threatened uh, legal action when they split up. So he's given away more money and it's just like, but you know what? A lot of it was all bullshit, excuse my language. because <laughs> That's when you uh, need a really good family lawyer. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you look back, I can sit back and go, you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, when you're in the situation, you don't realise, as you said, it's like the, the boiling frog, you don't realise you're in that until, you know, almost it's too hot. It's, you're yeah. boiling. You're in thick of it. Um, I mean, we could probably talk about this topic for so <laughs> long. I, I was actually so excited uh, about meeting with you and I was talking to an accountant last week and he was like, oh, tell me, what, what, what is this financial abuse? And then he asked me, because so I'm in control of our finances. Does that mean I'm abusing my wife? And <laughs> it was so sweet that you were even yeah. thinking that. Yeah. The fact that you've actually asked and wanted to know what what is too controlling. And I said, let's put it down to the conversation of you, say, a big ticket purchase. Um, are you going to just flat out say no or let's do some research together and let's work out can we can this work together? I mean, that's sort of where you work out. There's a line in the sand of saying absolutely not or, okay, let's have a look at our finances sit down with me and let's see if it's it's justifiable, you know. And look, in nearly every single relationship, there's someone who does take the lead with the finances. That doesn't mean you're an abuser at all. And, you know, sometimes it's a husband who goes, oh, honey, just look after it for me. And sometimes the wife goes, oh, I couldn't give, you know, a rat's. You, you do it all. So it is very, very common in every relationship. It also doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have access to the bank account or you, you know where the assets are. You know what's in your soup. You know what you know the life insurance is worth so you, you still have joint goals and look in some relationships it may be completely normal for the wife to go out and say i bought, a, bought an investment property today and in others that would be divorce material oh, yeah. <laughs> it completely depends on the relationship on you know your level of income what your separate goals are what your joint goals are so you know there's a really big area of gray because that's how relationships work so yeah. But, you know, it's when you read all the signs and, you know, is, is your partner completely in the dark about what's going on? And some people don't even realise they're being financially abused. You know, there might be always cash available for them to do the groceries or get a new dress or buy a lippy. But, again, maybe they don't know that they've got three investment properties, that there's separate trusts, that, you know, in some cases there's a separate partner. Um, you know, so those situations, they're like, you know, I always had enough but you actually are still completely in the dark and mm. wouldn't even know which bank you were with if something happened to your partner. And that, that's a really great litmus test. You know, if my partner died tomorrow, do I know where everything is? 
Uh, I've been down that road as an advisor um, where they're older clients and they're um, at sort of retirement stage. And um, the wife never came to the meetings and I'd often say, come on, we've got to do this together. And then I did that thing where I just sort of gave her a call and just said, hey, how are you going? Look, I just wanted to um, see if you got, if, if, because uh, I'm doing an after hours appointment, I can pop over to the house. So this way I've got you both. You know, a bit cheeky of me, I know. But, <laughs> Sometimes you have to be. And, you know, she got, she was on the phone. She goes, you know what, Amy, I'm so glad you said this because I go walking with the ladies every week and they know everything about what's going on with their um, retirement plan and their savings. And um, if their husbands were to die, what was, the, you know, what would be left to them and da da da. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't even know if we have any money. And, you know, it wasn't like her husband was actually deliberately doing this. She's completely delegated the responsibility. It was also generational. It's like my mum and my stepdad. It's just how that generation has been is that there was someone who looked after the money and she looked after the household. Yep. Very and true. that's how it was. And so, but she's now getting to a point at retirement and all of a sudden, all of a sudden her friends is talking about their relationship with their financial advisor. And she always says hi to me and knows that I'm around and I always send them both information. But this time we sat down and I had her husband basically write down every single asset, every value, every liability they had. And just and, and then I turned to her and I said in front of him, see, just so she understood. And he sort of got that understanding that, oh, she's been nervous. Why? <laughs> but, you know, he had absolutely no idea. This was a few years back, um, but it was a great exercise for them both, I think. I don't think that there was ever, it was just unspoken, yep. you know, but that I don't see, and this is where you've got to be careful of labelling as well. I didn't see that as a deliberate sort of point of control or abuse. I think that was all no, cultural not. and a generation thing as well. And if we can deal with it very subtly and get them involved. Well, he wasn't hiding. There was no... No, know, he wasn't hiding. ...at all, and she'd probably actually personally delegated responsibility going, oh, I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Which means you, you can be a prime suspect. doesn't mean your partner's going to rip you off. But no. Yeah. It can leave you open to that. Yeah. But if I guess if I turned up to that, if it, you know, meeting and, it, it, you know, he... Said, I'm not uh, writing all that down. <laughs> I'm not writing that down. Or I, have got, I haven't got time for that now or excuses. Yeah. Yeah. Then I guess that's where you get the warning signs and going, okay, something, right. something's not right here. Yeah. And, yeah, some cases, you know, it may just be a miscommunication. Oh, I didn't realise or we didn't speak about it or I forgot or, you know, it can be quite, like you said, especially generational. You know, it was always dad was the breadwinner. I was raised by, you know, a Stepford wife. Mum would stay home with the kids. She'd work part-time when we went to school. Dad was the breadwinner. You know, that that is still quite common in not only Australia but many places. Yeah. So, you know, having even culturally, including the women in some areas is just, you know, to absolutely taboo. It's like you don't make the money, you don't get a say. So there's also cultural norms, especially, you know, Australia's a great big melting pot. You know, if, you, mm. if you're not Indigenous, you're pretty much a boat person. You've come in somehow. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so, you it's know, true. we've got this huge, you know, melting pot of cultures and, you know, maybe we don't understand how, how it works in, you know, Indian communities or Hindu communities or Muslim communities or Nigerian, whatever the, you know, race, background, religious... You know, there's so many different laws and things that make up this amazing country that we've got. And, you know, sometimes we might then have to go and get an expert in that area and go, look, 
is this normal? You know, is, is this how it is in that culture? How can we, you know, move on from that and create these respectful relationships? Or, you know what, if that person's completely okay with it, then that's okay too. But, we, you know, we have to be so aware of so the nuances. <laughs> yes. And, and, and that's where this uh, course is going to be teaching us what, what to be aware of, what signs to look for, and I guess then as you put it in your toolkit, how to deal with them as they come along. I mean, there'll be no one fix for all. Um, and then I guess it's about networking, getting the right professionals in line to assist that client who is going through that situation. And I guess not to forget the abuser as well, um, because that's important that they also get the help because they might not even realise how bad they're behaving. Yeah. And look, in some cases, nothing you do is going to help. In other cases, like you said, they might go, oh, geez, had, had no clue that that wasn't acceptable behaviour, mm. um, you know. And marriages can actually, I suppose, be saved over the open lines of communication. Um, I know Dominique in her interview in the course gave an example of a husband and wife who he just had no idea that she wanted to know all that information and, he, you know, she felt completely in the dark and um, misled about everything. And he's like, I didn't even know it was an issue. I, I didn't even understand that that's what she wanted. So, you know, sometimes we're the worst, you know, we sabotage ourselves. We get all worked up and actually don't don't speak or say yeah. things or we say things in anger rather than having a, a standard discussion. So, you know, maybe even having, a you know, a psychologist in the toolkit, the family lawyer, a local shelter, um, you know, counsellors who can help. You know, this, this toolkit isn't just, you know, I, I need to help this one person now. I've got the abuser, you know, hotline on the phone you know, that, that's it. It's it's so complex. And every case you come across is going to be different. So, yeah, I bet, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to doing this course and we are going to be doing a webinar with you in October through the AFA Inspire community, which is really exciting. Yeah. And I'll have done the course by then. Um, so we'll be talking more sort of more details on, on, on the actual content um, because in that we're going to really encourage with... Um, our, our colleagues and other professionals to get in, get involved and get on board and get accredited because I'm no I'm I'm a big believer in you know what you're doing I think it's fantastic uh, well done you because um, <laughs> it's amazing um, as soon as as soon as Michelle told me I was like I've got to get on, on board with this this is amazing um, I just I, just because I've recognised it and I've had absolutely no besides the the you know stuff that I've done and courses I've done in for myself, I've had no other tools um, and I've been lucky to sort of recognise someone's self-esteem and things that also have come in, you know, been through a divorce. Um, I, you know, have walked in some of those shoes, not all of them, but, you know, I've, I'm, I've come through quite unscathed in respect to the abuse side of things. But there are things out of relationships you do come away from and go, well, that's affected me um, psychologically. I'm, I've, I'm bruised somewhere along the way from this. Um, there is, you know, we're not all, we're, we're all damaged in some way. I like to say yep, bruised absolutely. because we heal. We heal. We're not we're broken. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not broken. That I don't like using the word broken because we heal. And um, this is another, uh, you know, great opportunity of helping others heal and, um, you know, go from strength to strength and, you know, rebuild their lives. So thank you so much, Amanda, for a no wonderful, thank you wonderful so hour. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really looking forward to getting this out and um, and looking forward to seeing you soon. Excellent. Thanks for uh, having me, Anne. No problem. <laughs> <laughs>